Hey everybody, welcome to the Wednesday, the hump day edition of Winners and Winers Radio. I am your host, Scott Steen, lead handicapper at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Reichel, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together we make up Winners and Winers Radio, our bargain with you folks. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. And that's what we do here today. Scott, how'd you do yesterday? You have a good day on the uh, on the uh, on the gambling uh, side of it. Yeah, overall went well. I had uh, the Nationals team total over four and a half at plus money. For some reason, Lazardo was plus money, and the Nationals scored five. And then I think they knew I had money on them because as soon as they scored five, they decided not to score anymore. So that was kind of how that went. And other than that, though, the Yankees continued to win, and they were getting plus money. So pretty good day overall. Yeah, I was going to say that apparently they knew that I had money on the complete over for the full game because as soon as they put that five up, that was pretty much the end. I turned that on for an inning, Scott, see if I could get a real rally going because I hadn't watched it yet. So I turned it on. There's a man, there's a man on first, one out, hits a uh, an oppo, just a smoke shot down the right field line. Of course, the first baseman's holding on the runner, so he's just right there. Uh, line drive, catches it, steps on the bag, end of inning. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's pretty much how that's going to go for me. Even though that was just like the sixth inning, I, I knew I was beat at that point. So, But I did get a nice come-from-behind victory for the Milwaukee Brewers. Hey, I don't know, have you have we talked about this? The, the, the Cincinnati Reds bullpen is not very good, Scott. Uh, it's kind of amazing how they are right now in possession of a playoff spot and they have one of the worst bullpens in the league. It's awful. It is just awful, man. I cannot believe they can't fix that. I can't believe they didn't do enough. They didn't do much at the deadline. I don't know. They, well, they did temporarily fix it because they did get rid of Sean Doolittle. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently that wasn't the problem. Just like just like the Padres firing their hitting coach. That that apparently wasn't wasn't the big the, the the big difficulty there. So you're rearranging deck chairs, my friend. That's exactly what you're doing. So you know we've got a big show today, Scott. We really do. We've got Joe Duffy of Offshore Insiders going to stop by and talk a little Big Ten. He's a he's a big he's a Big Ten guy. His kid goes to Ohio State. He's been a Big Ten fan forever. So we're going to check him out, and he's going to talk about some of his favorite NFL plays as well. Of course, Scott and I will be going over the baseball card, and we will be laying down our Bet the Farm play. We'll have to see how we did on yesterday's action. But before we do all that, let's talk about the people that didn't do so well, Scott, the people that might have taken it right in the shorts, if you will. These are the folks that thought they had a winner right up until the time they didn't, my friend. It is time once again to get out your phones and call the cops. All right, Scott. Well, let's start off with that uh, very game I was speaking of. It is uh, the Cincinnati Redlegs. If you had the Reds plus one and a half on the reverse run line, you were in fantastic shape as they were up 4-1 after six innings. And then the seventh inning happened. The Brewers put up four runs in the seventh to take a 5-4 lead. And then with two outs... Colton Wong, you know how he is a blaster, Scott. He hit. Does he have like ten home runs a year, give or take? Uh, that's about right. And he muscled one into the left field corner, just cleared the foul post, and that was good enough to give the Milwaukee Brewers a seven-four victory. Hader did his job in the ninth, 
And if you had the Reds plus one and a half, you were in great shape for two-thirds of the game. And then you weren't. Call the cops. Second one was between the Rangers and the Indians. If you had the under nine, you had seven runs going into the ninth. And at that point, you wish Hader was pitching for one of those two teams. But that did not happen because the Rangers scored three runs in the top of the ninth. Game ended seven to three. And you could rip up your under nine ticket. And we'll finish it up with a play from the Giants-Mets. If you had the over eight and a half, you had to be thinking you were on easy street after just four innings. You had seven runs. Gives you five innings to put up just two more runs, Scott. They did not do that as the Giants. Uh, they laid on one more. The Nets, uh, the Mets did nothing to help at all. All you needed from the Mets was one stinking run. Nope. Thank you very much. That ain't going to happen. That game ends up 8-0. If you had the over 8.5, call the cops, and you might want to call the coroner because the Mets are dead. A lot of difficult total spots in baseball because everything looks good for maybe eight innings or so, and then it's that ninth inning that always kills you. Really is. Really is. Well, you know what? There are some people that didn't get killed in the ninth inning because they had it put away early. These are the nice, easy victories. Let's, found, uh, let's find out who would light up that victory cigar early in the process, Scott. We'll see who was sitting in the rocking chair. So, the first one was a total in baseball between the Twins and the Red Sox. If you had the over 10.5, that was pretty easy because you had five runs in the fourth inning, five runs in the fifth inning, a couple runs before that, a lot of runs after that. Game ended 11-9, to nine. but when you have a total of 10 and a half and the teams combined for for 10 runs in just two innings you can catch that about 99.9 percent .9 of the time yeah you're you're in pretty good shape and because that one wasn't on call the cops you know how it ended so yeah that was absolutely uh that was something and speaking of over 10 and a half scott another number that seems really big the angels orioles game and you didn't have to sweat this one very long because after four innings scott there were 15 runs on the board Hit game ended up 14 to 8. And if you have to ask who won, you haven't really been paying attention. The Angels curb stomped the O's one more time. If you had the over 10 and a half there, you didn't have to sweat nothing. It was easy time and the rocking chair. And the last one was the Astros on the run line against the Royals. They led three to nothing after the first inning, led four to nothing after the third inning. And then you could have just gone home because you had no runs for the final amount of innings. Game ended 4 nothing. Yep, yep. The Royals just absolutely uh, no no offense at all showed up today. As, uh, the uh, Brady Singer couldn't quite recapture the magic of last week. So, all right, Scott, this is... This is <laughs> I guarantee a lot of people are paying attention to this next, this next case to see what happens because they're like, really, can I do that? There's an interesting donkey of the day today, Scott, and uh, yeah, you know what? Let's just get right to it. I know you're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. Let's find out who's wearing the golden feed bag today in our segment entitled mm, Donkey of the Day. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take it away. So... Uh, we're talking about NBA free agency and one player that's in the middle of a court case or he's about to be is New York Knicks center Nerlens Noel. And he decided that it was time to sue his former agency clutch sports because he had a bit of an issue. However, 
it stems from 2017, which seems like he probably should have sued them a couple years ago. But anyway, here we are. And Nerlens Noel ended up suing Clutch Sports for $58 million, claiming that Rich Paul gave him some bad advice during the offseason of 2017. Now, what happened was that he was playing for the Mavericks at the time. I'm sure a lot of you forgot Nerlens Noel played for the Mavericks. That's okay. But anyway, he was offered four years, $70 million by the Mavericks during the 2017 offseason. And Rich Paul gave him the brilliant advice of maybe signing a one-year deal instead and then testing free agency as an unrestricted free agent in the following season. How'd that go? Now, Noel agreed mm-hmm. to that advice, and then he well, ended up wait, getting wait. injured. We, we may go back fall- to that point. Yeah, he ended up going and getting injured in the following season. He broke his thumb, missed 42 games, and the next year he signed a contract for $3.7 million, which means if you're doing the math, he missed out on about 60-something million dollars because he took some advice. Now, the question that I have for you, whether you're talking to an agent about your contract or whether you're talking to a stockbroker, can you sue a guy for giving you a bad stock tip? I don't believe you can. Unless, you know, and we were talking about this a little bit off air before the show. Unless you can so, sh- show some type of purposeful malfeasance or incompetence, you know, if he's a became a drug addict, didn't pay any attention to, you know, that kind of thing. But if you have an opinion and you advise your client, this is what I think you should do, and your client goes, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. I think you're off the hook. I don't. I don't think he has a case, Scott. Um, I don't think he does either. But the main reason why we're putting him as donkey of the day because I get the idea that he's supposed to be the expert because he's the agent. You're the one who's signing your name on the dotted line. Just because he's giving you suggestions on what you should do, whether you're talking a stock tip, whether you're talking about a contract, you're the one who has to sign the contract. That's right. You could have taken the seventy million if you wanted to. Yep. And it seems like you're looking back on it four years into the future and saying, you know, I'm not going to take responsibility for messing up. I'm just going to sue you for it. Well, and there's a wrinkle to this story too, Scott. And the wrinkle is he didn't file suit until Clutch Sports started putting a little pressure on and said, hey, bud, how about those commission checks? Because apparently he didn't pay any commission last year. He owes him $200,000. If you do the math, he made $5 million. That's 4%. That's pretty standard agent contract right there. So, yeah, he, he I, don't, I don't understand. You just you pay your commission, shut up, move on with they your life. Make, you, yeah, you can make an argument Clutch Sports has billions of dollars. Why do they care about 200000 It's more about the principle. Oh, it absolutely is about the principle. If you, if you start setting the trend that you can have your clients stiff you on commissions, yeah, that's not going to be good. So, yeah, no, that's... So, yeah. You got to collect. It's mostly buddy. just roasting Nerlens and Noel for not really knowing how to treat agents and be blaming agents when he has final say on what he does with his professional career. Yep, yep, and that's why he's wearing the feed bag. That's why he's wearing yep. the golden feed bag. He's not getting fifty-eight million, but he is getting the golden feed bag that awards him Nogi of the day. All right, Scott. Well, <laughs> again, I think we're going to have to retire this next segment. It's certainly going to be have to at least be the memorial segment. Once again, my friend. The memorial segment. <laughs> Not in memoriam, but... <laughs> no, yeah, no, but I'm saying, because, you know, you got Oriole in there. Oh, very good. I, I, sometimes I'm even more clever than I realize. Scott, 
We have to do it. We have to find out. The odds makers, they're drinking again. They took a couple days off and now they're back at it. The odds makers, once again, are drunk. All right. So, again, guys, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. The Baltimore Orioles are not playing good baseball right now. In fact, they are playing terrible baseball. So, we go into the game yesterday. The Angels... Now, the Angels, uh, it's not an ideal matchup. Scott, remind me who's on the mound again. Dylan Bundy. It's young Master Bundy. That's right. Young Master Bundy going against Spencer Watkins for the Baltimore Orioles. In case you're wondering, is Spencer Watkins any good? No. No. He's a Baltimore Orioles starter, so you know he's not any good. Now, has Dylan Bundy been having a great season? No, he has not. He has not had a great season at all. But, again, going into yesterday's game, the Orioles had lost 18 straight. So, maybe put a little juice on that. Because the run line, Scott, is plus money. Plus money on the run line. And, yeah, lap it up. Odds makers, you guys are just getting your butts kicked on the Baltimore Orioles. You're drunk. Go home. Stop putting numbers up. Jesus. Sorry. You? It's really an issue because you have a team that's so bad that you're not sure where to price them. But at the end of the day, we've talked about the run line streak and how they lost 18 in a row, now 19 in a row, and 18 of the losses are on the run line. Yep. You should blindly have every team on the money line at around minus 200 and change. I was going to say this ought to start at minus 300, minus 200. That that should be your that should be your number. And your number for run lines should be a guaranteed like minus 130. Like by default, they can be playing the Royals, and the Royals should be minus one thirty on the on the run line. Really, that's the team you had to pull out? Uh, yes. Okay, great. My team's won a bunch of games in a row, so. All right, fair enough. All right, we got to get this out of the way because we got Joe Duffy coming up on the next segment. But Scott, you and I didn't get a chance to do our win totals real quick, so you got about forty five seconds. We got talking to Joe. We didn't do it. Give me your Big Ten win total. My win totals: Wisconsin over nine and a half at minus one ten on DraftKings. A lot of the tough games are at home, so I think that'll bode well for them. Neutral site game against a weak Notre Dame team with an extra week of preparation. They have a bye the week before, and Notre Dame does not. No Ohio State on the schedule. Penn State, Michigan, Iowa, Northwestern, all at home, and then at Minnesota. I think they'll win at least 10 games. All right, very good. I'm going to take Rutgers under four and a half. I think they lose one of their non-cons, and I just don't see them picking up three more conference victories. I like the Rutgers uh, Scarlet Knights under four and a half. And that is my favorite win total right there. So you guys uh, stick around because through the magic of radio, we're going to be right back with Joe Duffy. All right, guys, we are joined by the one and only Joe Duffy down there in Atlanta of Offshore Insiders. One of the best all sports handicappers around. We are happy to have him to talk a little football. Joe, what's going on, my friend? Well, thank you, Scott and Scott, for having me on. Yeah, it's crazy. I know the last time I was on with you, we were actually handicapping the plague. It was during the shutdown, and we were trying to predict when each sport was going to come back. Unfortunately, we haven't come quite as far as we had hoped since. It almost seems like we've turned the clock back, but I am ready for a football season. It looks like that both college and NFL are ready to go, and I'm certainly ready to go for football season. It's kind of been a bad kind of been a bad beat with the pandemic so far. <laughs> I thought we thought we had it, and then all of a sudden we had uh, defeat snatched from the jaws of victory. So I know you're kind of a – you're a Big Ten. Now, you're a native New Yorker, right, living in Atlanta? 
Well, no, I'm, I'm originally from South Jersey, so closer to Philadelphia. And then I moved to Atlanta right out of college, which, although I look extremely young, was quite some time ago. So I've spent <laughs> about 60% of my life here in Atlanta. Very good. Very good. And I know you kind of your labor of love, your hobby, if you will, is restaurant reviewer. So is, is Atlanta, is, is it, is it happening? I know there's a lot of great places down there other than the varsity, right? Yeah. And I, I have to say that the suburbs have really exploded. I live in the uh, suburbs and we have a lot of great restaurants, both in the city and the suburbs itself. Atlanta is a city where um, the market population ranks much higher than the city does. So most people in the Atlanta metropolitan area live outside the city. And we'll probably talk about it. You know, my son goes to school at Ohio State, which is another great food town. Been there about 15 times. So that's kind of my chomping grounds away from my chomping grounds. But yeah, suburban Atlanta and the city itself has a lot of good eats. I've never heard the term chomping grounds before. And now I love it. I'm going to be using it constantly. So very good. I know you talked about Ohio State, so let's kind of get rolling here talking about our Big Ten preview first. Now, Ohio State just brings back 12 starters, but this is not one of those, this is more of a reload school than kind of a retool, right? They've just got excellent players waiting in the wings all up and down. Does that worry you at all that they don't have a lot of veterans on this squad? No, uh, you definitely nailed it, Scott. They're basically just behind a Clemson or Alabama and barely behind, some might say, maybe right on par with Georgia, maybe a little bit ahead of Georgia. It does sound like a cliche, but it is so true. They don't rebuild, they reload. You know, I know they named C.J. Stroud as their starting quarterback for week one, but they've got a five-star recruit in the wings. They've got two guys with great credentials. So Ohio State clearly is a team that has NFL prospects that are backups maybe this year that will be starting next year so no they're one team that you don't have to worry quite as much about the returning production for sure very good scott what do you got you, you're gonna you're gonna roast him for ohio state and tell us who your sleeper pick is uh not particularly because i think we would all agree ohio state's probably gonna win the conference but the one thing that i will ask you about is the fact that Looking at the overall defense, I would say that they lost a fair share of production. Does that concern you at all, maybe with relying on some unproven commodities to take over? Yeah, definitely with um, Haskell Garrett as, as part of their defense. And they did lose a big, uh, definitely one of the uh, things that I use, an indicator does have them ranked among the bottom teams as far as returning talent is concerned on defense. That is definitely their biggest uh, question mark on the defensive side, especially in the secondary. So if you're going to beat Ohio State this year, you got a good passing game, which certainly some teams do. We'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, you know, Iowa's got a, a very good passing game, and they have a couple of teams in the cross-conference play that might give them trouble. But, yeah, if Ohio State gets upset this year, it'll definitely be from a team that has a very effective passing game because the secondary is their weakness. They don't have a lot of questions on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, most definitely. All right, so they're, just to go over the odds real quick, Ohio State, they're not quite the prohibitive favorite like Clemson is at minus 900, but I think they're, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they're probably the second greatest odds of, of any Power 5 conference at minus 220. Scott, your alma mater, UW, they're in Madison. They're the second favorite, plus 600. Then everybody else is plus 900 or better. Penn State, Iowa, plus 900, and then you're pretty much doing a, uh, doing a lottery ticket on anybody else. Now I'm hearing a lot of a lot of Indiana chatter, Joe. You're seeing Indiana show up on some of the preseason top 25s. 
Uh, everybody thinks that this could be a team that's just just that close. Are you are you buying the the Hoosier uh, the, the the Hoosier excitement? Are you buying into it? You had the Hoosier daddy just sitting right there. I, I, I was I was there. a Hoosier mania. Really anything. I just I completely whiffed on that. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah, but well, Michael Penix, he's obviously coming back from an injury. He's the key. I'm one of these guys that, yes, there's no question it's important on defense and it's important on the offensive line, but it really starts at quarterback. And unlike the schools that we mentioned previously, it's not like Indiana is deep. And if they do lose Penix, uh, that's going to be a lot of trouble. The one reason that makes me a little bit nervous about Indiana is they were last year's Cinderella team. And as a general rule of thumb, I do think that Cinderella teams are usually good fades the next year and likewise disappointing teams. And we'll talk about at least one of them here in the big 10 are teams that could sneak up on you, but you're right. They're very loaded at the skill position, especially if Steven Carr, who's a USC transfer, if he can fit in at running back and he should, he's got some pretty good numbers there. Uh, average about five yards per carry. Uh, of course they're, uh, Freifogel, Ty Freifogel, the wide receiver. So they are very good at the skill positions. And that's still where I like to look first at the skill positions. Indiana does do very well there. But like I said, because A, they've exceeded expectations. And another cl cliche that I do think is very appropriate when it comes to handicapping, it's easier to be the hunter than the hunt it. Now, all of a sudden, Indiana is facing the burden of high expectations, but they do have the talent there, especially on the offensive side of the ball, so they're never going to be out of a game. So I do think they're a legitimate dark horse, but no, they don't have the depth and the strength. Uh, you know, a lot of bad things would have to go wrong for Ohio State, but still they're a very interesting team to watch, arguably the most interesting team in the country because, like I said, they do have the proven talent, but the fact that they overachieved last year makes me wonder if they can do it two straight years. And I think if there's any team that, you know, we're not talking about injuries. Of course, injuries can derail any team season. But I think even if Indiana remains healthy, they're probably the toughest team to predict in the Big Ten, one of the toughest teams in the country. Because, like I said, can they repeat last year? And they also... What's very tough, Indiana, I know we're among the better turnover teams in the conference. They led the uh, conference in turnovers on defense, but that is so tough to duplicate. Not to say that there isn't a lot of skill involved. Obviously, you know that a team like uh, Ohio State is going to force more turnovers than a team at the bottom of the conference, but there's still a certain amount of luck involved in that. And the fact that Indiana did lead the conference last year in turnovers on the defensive side of the ball, I wonder if they can duplicate that. So it's it's a little bit, I'm kind of playing both sides, Scott. I agree. I can see how they are a dark horse team, but I can also see them being a, a big disappointment. They're, I just think they're the toughest team in the conference to get a handle on. Yeah, and everybody talks about Penix on offense, but you you brought it up as far as the turnover margin. And those those do tend to run cyclical, more of a, more of a luck type of situation. But Having said that, they were 19th in the nation scoring defense, giving up just just a shade over 20 points per game. They bring nine starters back on the defensive side. So um, I'll put you I'll put your feet to the fire, Joe. The win total on Indiana is eight. Are we going over or under? Now I'm going to think I'm going to go under. And also, um, Scott, they still have a very good offensive line. But all in all, I'm going to go under. I think even that that total has risen a little bit. I believe they opened up at seven and a half, which I think was a little bit more accurate. So at the very least, I'm going to use that hook where I think at the worst I'll do is push. I will definitely uh, take it under the total because I don't know if Penix can remain healthy and why the frontline starters are very good 
if Indiana does have some injuries to those studs, that could definitely put a big hurting on them. And, uh, you know, it's tough to stay healthy during an entire season, especially with your quarterback having had his share of injuries. Yeah, and they're not dodging many bullets as far as their schedule goes either. They, As far as the non-con goes, they've got Western Kentucky and they've got Cincinnati, which is always a tough out. But then they, they don't dodge really anybody in the conference. They've got Iowa, they've got Ohio State, they've got Michigan, uh, and they've got Purdue and Minnesota. So... Yeah, they've they've got a full dance card. I I tend to I tend to probably lean with you there as far as the under eight goes. Scott, what do you think? I I think eight's a pretty sharp number. I think you're more likely to see a push than for it to go over. I think they'll probably go eight and four if I had to guess Indiana's actual record by year's end. But you were talking about the turnover differential and how Indiana was so good last year. I cannot reiterate just how big of a loss Jamar Johnson going to the NFL was for that secondary. I know we talked about how they were able to be very opportunistic on defense, force a lot of turnovers, et cetera. Johnson led the team in interceptions. He was fantastic. And the way that I look at it, he reminds me a lot of Winfield when he was at Minnesota. And of course he won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. But as you remember, I I liked him a lot out of college and we saw how bad Minnesota's defense was without him last year. I'm not going to say it's going to take that big of a step back without Johnson, but he was so good for that team. And I think that you might see, even though they returned a decent amount of starters, I think he was their best defensive player last year. So just because you return a decent amount of quantity doesn't mean that the quality is going to be the same because you're missing arguably your best defensive back from last year. Yep. Yeah, and they, are, they aren't really that deep beyond uh, Taiwan Mullen. So I do think that is a weakness that some teams can exploit. Like I said, when you do have nine starters back, uh, that is a lot. But I do think that they will definitely go after the other side that Mullen is not covering. And I do think some teams could have a little bit of success in the air. But, you know, I do think that Indiana is going to be a good team to watch. And I think they fall into my predictably unpredictable category where on a live line, I would actually fade whatever team is ahead like if indiana i think they're the type of team that could blow some 14 and 20 point leads this year but i also think they're a team that can come from behind you know from some two and three touchdown deficits so if we see them either way ahead or way behind i would probably take a long look on live lines to bet the team that is trailing okay very solid so let's just say in some sort of world that ohio state they don't win the conference. Who do you like? Who's your, who's your second pick? You know, I guess I'll have to go with the crowd, Penn State. But then again, Penn State, the problem with them is they're a team that has some high expectations, but it's not really based on a lot of stuff that came on the field. Obviously, Sean Clifford's got to become substantially more consistent for them to really be a contender. He does have great wide receivers. The kid Dotson's one of the best. And I got to say, I'm a little bit biased, uh, Mike. Yurchitz, their new offensive coordinator. He is a graduate of California University of Pennsylvania, which is best known for producing great sports handicappers, but he has a great resume. And he was a, a lot of people think he was a one of the best hires as far as any offensive or defensive coordinator during the offseason. He's had a lot of success in his career. And uh, also, look, he does have some talent to work with. They do have some question marks in the secondary. Um, as they had a couple of the guys that are returning, uh, Castro Fields and Joey Porter. They're two guys that were targeted quite often, so they really got to tighten up the holes in the secondary, and they have cross-divisional games against Wisconsin and Iowa, so the schedule maker isn't very kind to them. They do have talent 
But again, I want to see these guys perform. And we talked about Ohio State has some question marks on defense, but I think that the question marks are a little bit bigger for Penn State. But there's no question that in the division, now we're talking about the, as far as the conference, Wisconsin would certainly be the team that could win the conference. Um, you know, I do see that, you know, like everybody else, I'm not going to try to outsmart the crowds. I do think that the likely conference championship matchup is going to be uh, Wisconsin and Penn State. And obviously, Wisconsin, they are very loaded where they have uh, Graham Mertz, who is one of the top quarterbacks in the conference. They have a, a pretty nice schedule to get there, so they shouldn't trip up. They do host some of their better teams, Penn State. Michigan, which I do think will be better than they were last year. Uh, they do play non-conference Notre Dame, which isn't going to affect them as far as whether or not they're going to go to the conference um, championship game. It could definitely affect them as far as momentum is concerned. But yeah, Wisconsin is a team that's just like it doesn't matter who the coach is. They're always so tough in the uh, trenches. They have another great offensive line. They got a safety valve. Jake Ferguson is really good. The defense with Eight starters are back from a team that allowed less than 18 points per game and just 5.01 yards per play. They're very good against the run. They're very good against the pass. So, again, I'm, I'm doing the obvious. Who could win the conference? Uh, Wisconsin. And if somehow Ohio State just has, you know, a, a terrible run of injuries or just terrible play, Penn State is clearly the team that could sneak into the division. And, you know, Iowa's a decent dark, dark horse, too. But they're probably the top two teams. All right. A couple quick questions here before we let you go. Number one, is this Scott Frost's last season at Nebraska? I don't think it's his last season, but it really depends on can he develop Martinez? Martinez, remember him as a freshman? You know, I was like, what, like nine years like ago? Yeah, I know. It does. It's funny. It does seem like I'm like, wait a minute. This is the same. Mar yeah, it is the same guy as a freshman. He looked like he could be, you know, a Heisman Trophy candidate. And all of a sudden he's just really regressed. So that's I don't think that uh, necessarily. Well, of course, if they fall completely flat on their face. But I think a lot of his job security depends on Adrian Martinez. Can he be the quarterback whisperer if he is? Um, then he's certainly going to keep his job. Nebraska does have, according to one of the metrics I use, 89% of their production back on defense. So their defense is very good. They like to take chances on defense or really depend. They like to gamble a lot. Hopefully for them, the gambles will be successful. And we talked about turnovers. Well, the good news is Nebraska last year was a terrible team on turnovers. But as we kind of alluded to, I think you can improve on turnovers more than you can on production. Like I said, I think there's a certain amount of good fortune involved there. I do think the bad turnover teams are the ones that have upside. So the fact that Nebraska was so awful with turnovers last year, and they do have the new offensive coordinator and Mike Lubbock, I do think they have a big upside there. So if they can just really become a, a better than average turnover team, that alone will improve them greatly. All right. Very good. And that is Joe Duffy of Offshore Insiders. You guys stick around. We're going to have Joe on the other side and talk a little NFL. We'll be right back after this message. Recording stopped. All right. Let me, if I do have some NFL. So Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than the turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work 
for winners and whiners. What's winners and whiners? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, 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 but they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and whiners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and whiners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwhiners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see, that wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I didn't I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them... Oh, man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously, though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. to the second half of Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. And speaking of winners, we're joined by one of the biggest winners around. He is Joe Duffy of OffshoreInsiders.com. And we talked a little Big Ten in the last segment. We're going to talk a little NFL. And it's always fun to kind of check in about, well, normally it would be halfway through the preseason, but because it's 2021 and we're playing 17 games from now on, this is a two-thirds of the way through the preseason. So, Joe... Any any takeaways, any surprises coming from the preseason yet? Yeah, well, Scott, I'm one of these guys that never reads that much, particularly into the uh, preseason. Look, I remember one year where Ben Roethlisberger looked awful and he was throwing all kinds of interceptions, and I think the Steelers went winless and they wound up winning the Super Bowl. And we've seen, look, I live in Atlanta where Jerry Glanville every year would do quite well in the preseason, get everyone's hopes up, and they wouldn't do all that great during the uh, regular season. So I don't know if I'd like, you know, you want to look at guys like the, you know, the bears quarterback situation, obviously where Justin Fields has been up and down, of course, Jacksonville, which played last night. They're one of the more interesting teams to look. I think sometimes you do want to look at some of the younger players, but even then we tend to overreact. So, you know, I've been watching the preseason games. You know, the 49ers are obviously another um, interesting thing to look at who their, their starting quarterback's going to be, who's going to play, how many games at quarterback. But I try not to overreact to preseason football results, to be honest with you, Scott. All right, fair enough. And that's, and that's, and that's usually the safe, the safe way to go. Um, you know, we're, we're churning out content because, you know, let's be honest, we've been starved for football for, for five months. But, and this preseason has been even weirder than, than most because, not everybody's on the same page. It used to be, you know, the first game, your starters would work, would play a series. Second game, they'd play maybe, maybe a half, most of the first quarter. And then the third game, uh, that would be the one where everybody was, it was most like game, game uh, actual game time. And then, of course, fourth, 
uh, everybody trying to compete for those last three spots on the roster would get it. But this, we've had some mismatches, Joe, in the preseason. You've had some first string offenses going up against some third string defenses, and it's been it's been a little exciting. Uh, I think Scott and I have learned one thing, and that's stick to the first half plays because a couple a couple of those second because a couple of those second half come from behind victories have been have been tough to swallow here in the last week with the Pittsburgh Detroit game, and then the game last night just brutalized us. So. Now, Scott, you bring up a very good point because I had mixed feelings. Like as a football fan, of course, I'd rather have the extra week of the regular season, but I've always done very well in preseason handicapping. Right. I'm like, wait a minute, this is kind of going to, you know, screw up a few of my systems. The fact that it's going to be a three game season rather than a four game season. It used to be where Jeff Fisher for a while, he was the one guy who would like to play as starters in week four to go a little bit of momentum into the uh, season. But you're right. Um, one thing that I do like that there has been some, and not so much. It wasn't quite, it was better in week one than it was in week two. As a general rule of thumb, I do think that people will overreact to when they hear one team starters are going to be playing more and fading line moves is usually a pretty good move. It was great in week one. So, so in week two, but then again, combined my wise guys actually did quite well in week two. They're my highest rate of plays, my majors, which are my second highest rated bets didn't do uh quite as well so yeah there is going to be some adjustment but i am looking forward to that extra week of the regular season excellent and of course the chiefs are the favorite to not only go back to the super bowl but to the win it at five at plus 525 tampa bay not far behind at 600 and then we get a couple of interesting teams joe i think there might be some value it's the buffalo bills and the green bay packers both at 11 to 1 where's your future money lying yeah i will say you're definitely right the buffalo bills are clearly one of the uh, more intriguing teams with Allen. I, I was one of those guys that, look, I, I don't like quarterbacks out of college that had, um, you know, the high uh, incompletion rates. But Buffalo, that's one that I was right on. Buffalo was right there. I can see how they're a, a dark horse team for sure. The Packers, yeah, you just never know. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, it looks like he's going to be with the T. I, I never really expected that Aaron Rodgers was going to be in another uniform. They're a, a pretty good one as well. Um, some of the, the, the stuff really, as far as I think some of my best dark horses, though, are really on the over-unders rather than I don't know if I have a clear-cut dark horse for the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys are always interesting. As Dak Prescott, he's coming back from a very serious injury. Every year, they seem to have a great deal of talent. Once again, if Prescott does come back from his injury and is 100%, They've got the talent. They've got the, the wide receivers. Clearly, he's got the best wide receivers in the entire NFL. Um, you know, we know he's got one of the best running backs. So Dallas, I do think, is a legitimate dark horse, but so much depends on when your star quarterback is coming back from an injury. So I think, if anything, the Cowboys would probably be my best dark horse team, but we talked about it on another video they did. The Cowboys are one of those teams that I think they could win – you know, 13 games, but then they might wind up winning five games. It just depends so much on not only the health of, of their quarterback, but is Prescott fully recovered? Because we've seen, you know, plenty of quarterbacks over the years. They're just not the same the year after coming back from a very serious injury. We know that was a, a serious injury and one of the ugliest injuries I've seen in, in all my life as a sports fan. But right now I'm going to go with the, the Cowboys as a, a pretty decent dark horse. But man, I, I think they're one team that could be um, worst or first this year. Very good. 
Scott, I know you're a Cowboys fan. Do you agree with that breakdown right there? At no point am I uh, considering the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl this season, even though I do for them somewhat. The issues remain that even though Dak is back with his leg now, uh, you know, he still has the issues that was why he hasn't played in preseason. It's kind of arm issues now, but I am curious how that's going to translate to the regular season. Plus, I know Parsons has looked good as a rookie in preseason. This defense is awful. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. It's just a terrible defense. I think that if they could generate a consistent pass rush with Lawrence and company, then maybe they could find a way to deal with some of the questionable secondary options that they have. But at the end of the day, the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl, I'll be happy if they win a playoff game. Let's put it that way. I, I think that this team could be good or bad, depending on maybe some bounce that go their way. Or, of course, Dak's health. If Dak's injured at all with an arm injury, a leg injury, the team's just should shut down the season they have no shot to win but you mentioned that division i'm gonna stick in that division for a serious dark horse candidate i kind of like washington i know that fitzpatrick is a team is a guy who is always unpredictable and you know he's gonna be a gunslinger and he'll throw a couple of really stupid interceptions but if you're gonna stick with the fact that one team from the nfc east has to make the playoffs for some reason you know maybe to change the rule but until then you're gonna have one team in there washington's defense probably the best or second best in the league with I'd say arguably the Pittsburgh Steelers but the issue I had last year was that Washington with Alex Smith who didn't even play in the playoff game really just struggled offensively because they couldn't throw the ball down the field and they do have Terry McLaurin they did end up picking up Curtis Samuel uh, to assist him in the receiving core the the defense is going to be great we know Chase Young's unbelievable we know that Ron Rivera is very solid coach who has been to a Super Bowl before I think if you want to take a serious long shot for a team that could make the playoffs and maybe make some noise, if the defense ends up being dominant and Fitzpatrick manages to somehow not turn the ball over a bunch, I think Washington might have a shot. But then again, you're trying to find a serious long shot in the worst division in all of football, in my opinion. If you want to go with a realistic double-digit shot, I'll go with Green Bay because they were right there against Tampa Bay last year. And I know Darius Smith is injured, might be missing week one, but Green Bay has got everybody back for the most part. And I do think that they really had Tampa Bay on the ropes last year. I think there's a chance that Green Bay should probably end up finishing with a one or two seed, so you probably should get the bye and a home game in Lambeau. As a whole, I just think that Green Bay's got a shot there at 11 to 1. Uh, Joe, what do you think what do you think of the what do you think of the pack? Is the pack back? Um I do think that the pack has to get a little bit more of a supporting cast again, you know, like I said, I'm a quarterbacks guy first, which is one of the reason where, you know, a couple of the futures bets that I did make were really based a lot on uh, having an underrated or overrated quarterback, but they do have a franchise player. And it does, I do think that he and LaFleur will get on the same page that they are a pretty well-coached team. So yeah, if the, if the Packers do win it, I wouldn't be all that shocked. And that's, you know, because I do, love quarterbacks i don't know if i totally agree with scott that the redskins would be a great dark horse to win the super bowl i do think that fitch magic is you know ageless look i'm i'm going to root for the old guys but i just think it's a little bit tough to win the super bowl with a guy like fitz fitz magic yeah i know the eagles won it with nick Foles a couple years ago but even Foles went on that incredible run and i'm not saying that Foles is necessarily a better quarterback than uh, Fitzpatrick is, but I do think Foles proved that he's got a higher ceiling, and they were a- the Eagles were able to, to ride uh, Nick Foles to win the Super Bowl. I just don't know. I, I think in the case of Fitzmagic, Ma- he doesn't have much of a floor, but I don't know if he's got a high enough ceiling 
for them to be a dark horse team. All right, so let's uh, polish off your crystal ball a little bit. Let's talk about some of these quarterback battles. Uh, who starts for Denver? Oh, boy, yeah. Denver, I, I've never been a big fan of um, of uh, John Elway as a quarterback evaluator. I just think Denver is going to be another terrible team. They don't really have a very good quarterback situation. I know they, uh, they drafted the – the young guy and I think he'll he'll be probably their starter eventually okay um and when do we see Trey Lance in San Francisco how many games does Jimmy G get yeah yeah Trey Lance that is Trey Lance he's he's actually been so erratic in the uh, preseason I don't think they're they're going to uh, bring him in right away I do think they're probably going to want uh him to obviously win the job eventually, but he's been a little bit erratic. I think that he's probably behind the other uh, rookie quarterback. So I do think that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, remember his problem is that he can't stay healthy. So I do think that it's just a matter of when he gets hurt. When does Garoppolo get hurt? And I think that's when Trey Lance is going to come in. But then again, are we reading too much into the uh, preseason I don't know. I think especially when it comes to guys like Trey Lance, they're the guys that you want to look at a little bit more closely. And I I just think it's going to be whenever Garoppolo gets hurt. Justin Fields in Chicago. When does he take over? Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that Matt Nagy, he's like insistent on bringing Justin Fields along slowly, which I guess it depends on your job security. Um, I know he's another guy like the, the youngster at, at the game one, he looked phenomenal. And then game two, a little bit of a setback. So I guess Nagy thinks that he's got some pretty good job security. I do think that if I'm a head coach, I want to bring along my guys slowly. You know, yeah. I would probably rather not have a franchise quarterback start game one, game two, or game three. But I do think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know that sports books at times will put the over-unders on when a quarterback does start. I do think that he will likely wind up starting probably by game three or game four. So I, I would imagine that might win you an under in some areas. I haven't really looked at the over-unders on some of the exotic plays, but I would say probably about game three or game four. And finally, is there a quarterback battle in Jacksonville or is this all just smoke and mirrors at the end of the day, Trevor Lawrence gets the job? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's another one where, look, uh, Trevor Lawrence clearly is going to be the franchise quarterback. Urban Meyer, he's not in any hurry. Um, I think it's really clearly Trevor Lawrence's job to win or lose. Uh, Jacksonville's one of those few teams that could actually use a little excitement to put some fans in the stands. They're one of those teams that don't sell out every game. So I do think that, you know, Trevor Lawrence might be rushed a, a little bit, but still, all in all, he is your franchise quarterback. And a team like Jacksonville, where they're not expected to make the playoffs, I can see where, you know, Chicago's at least a team that has a pretty decent chance, has a good chance at making the playoffs. So it's a little bit different situation there. In the case of uh, Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, I can see where you might want to do some baptism by fire there. There aren't any expectations. I do think that, you know, Lawrence, he'll be able to make some mistakes without having to worry about the fans wanting, wanting him pulled. So I do think of all the uh, rookie quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence is the most likely to start in week one. Very good. He is Joe Duffy of Offshore Insiders. Make sure you check him out at offshoreinsiders.com. Follow him on Twitter at Offshore Insider. 
Joe, thanks very much. As always, great insights. We'll be checking back with you during the season and see how everything's going. Thanks for being on the show today. All right, Scott and Scott, uh, call me anytime. I always enjoy being on with you guys. You got it, buddy. And need some of that good food down there in the South for me, brother. I definitely will. I definitely will. And, you know, when I make my trips to the Midwest as well. Deal, deal. Barbecue's on me, my friend. We'll see you. All right, sir. All right. He's, he's a good guy, isn't he, Scott? Yep, definitely an entertainer. All right, my friend. Well, there you go. That's the football portion. Now let's uh, talk a little baseball here, buddy. We've got, to, of course, it's Wednesday. It's home day. We got some day games, but we do have a fair selection of night games. We're going to miss out on Scooball and Lester. How do you feel? You feel all right about that? Uh, Scooball plus money, man. Yes, yes, yes. Um, all right. So give me your uh, give me some of your favorite baseball plays for the day, Scott. So looking at the overall card, uh, I am tempted to go with the Giants. I know that Walker's been a lot better than Cueto this season, but. I said yesterday I blindly like the Giants because the Mets should not be favored against the Giants ever, and it's about Pickham. Have, can you trust the Mets based on how they've played for the last month? I can't. I'll take the Giants. No, I, I looked at that game the same exact way. I like I like Taiwan Walker. He's been pitching well this season. Johnny Cueto has had his struggles. I'm gonna without without looking him up. I'm guessing he's somewhere in the neighborhood of four 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 five ERA. It's a Pretty typical Johnny Cueto season for these been you know for the last three or four years and could the Mets hit could the Mets hit us though? See that's the thing the Mets are just awful they can't score the ball they can't they can't score runs Scott I you can't back that team I've got to I've got to take even money on the Niner on 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 the Niners on the Niners yeah don't yeah <laughs> go ahead I'm gonna put a dollar in like in the swear jar for every time I do that this season because well once NBA gets going it's all over. But yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. You've you've got to back the the uh, the Giants there. They're the best team in baseball, and I, I I feel like you and I are going to be into September going. Well, I don't really think San Francisco's that good, and they win you know 98 games or something. Like, well, I'm still waiting for them to fall apart because I just you know you look at me like I don't know how this team is better than the Dodgers yet. There they are. So yeah, that's a long way to go to say this, Scott. I agree with you. I, I just can't put any money on the Mets right now, especially that that's a ridiculous price. It really is. How about um, Mike Miner? Oh, no, that's a, that's a day game. My my bad, my bad. Oh, this is the one I wanted to talk about. How about Gigliito and uh, Robbie Ray? Lucas Gigliito and Robbie Ray going at it there. In Toronto, that's a, that's a night game. Toronto, a little bit of a favorite. Opened up minus 120. That's pretty much where it sits. Eight and a half is the total there. Scott Robbie Ray, he has been dealing. Man, he is he has had his best season as a major leaguer by far. By far. It's not it's not even close. His uh his strikeout to his strikeout to walk ratio is 4.94, which is like the best mark in his life before that was like 3-1. It's just it's 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 been incredible. What's the bad news, Robbie Ray? They don't win games for him. Or 12 and 12 and 12 in his starts, 279 ERA, and yeah, almost a five strikeout to walk ratio. They don't win for him. So the other news is they don't win for Giolito either. So they're 12 and 13 in his starts. What do you do with this one? For me, I know you brought it up. I'm passing. It's really just a spot where I think Ray's the better pitcher. So I probably look Toronto first five because that bullpen's awful, but. Toronto just hasn't been that great over the last couple of weeks. We knew that with the Yankees most likely to eventually get back on track, 
we didn't think they do it this quickly, but they've been great. Tampa's been great. Boston's falling apart. You were kind of hoping that with Boston falling apart, maybe Toronto could sneak back into the race, but we've talked all year long about how this team is really good at beating up on weaker teams, yep. but against teams above 500, they stink. So I'm going to pass because I think Ray's the better pitcher, but I just don't trust Toronto against anybody. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the same way. And Giolito's been... He's been he's been good lately. He's had he's a little more inconsistent, but he's another guy that's been good. So I don't I I want to I you know I want to like this Toronto team, but Scott, I, I got to admit I'm a little I'm I'm not I'm not an objective observer because I have a futures ticket on the Toronto Blue Jays, and I'm just it's it's almost completely burnt up right now. It's the, the ends are on fire, and it's it's burning slowly towards the middle. It's just it's just you about can flip over. it for probably two bucks. Buy a scratch off. I didn't even tell you how much it was, how much I had it for. I don't know if it matters. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> Don't take anything. It's for a thousand dollars. You can get two bucks for it. Sweet. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good. What else you got? I'm looking at the Nationals. I know I had a play of the day winner with the Nationals team total yesterday, but you have Josiah Gray against Edward Cabrera. Cabrera might be another great young pitcher for the Marlins because they have a lot of those, not counting Lazardo because he's awful. But he's yet to pitch in the majors this season. So I have some concerns about Cabrera and how he might transition when it comes to facing off against a major league talent. Meanwhile, Josiah Gray's been very good for the last couple of starts for Washington. And you're looking at the prices. It's basically a pick em. Washington's playing better baseball than Miami, and it's not even close right now. Miami can't hit the ball. I got to go with Gray getting roughly minus 110 pick him because Cabrera, even if he pitches well, I don't know how long Miami is going to extend him in this outing because it's the first time he's facing major league batting. And the Marlins only got about three forwardings from Lazardo yesterday. Their bullpen might be stretched pretty thin. Yeah, I find the line movement in this very curious. It opened up as Washington minus 115 favorites, which is kind of about where I figure this should be. And money has just hit the board on the Miami Marlins, Scott. They're down. Uh, Marlins are now favored by minus one ten. So there's been there's been twenty five cents worth of line movement on this at a very weird time. You know, you wouldn't expect to see that much line movement this far in advance of the game. So Mar- Marlins have lost eight in a row, by the way. Yeah, I I don't know where that money's coming from. I I really don't. I've I got to think just for value. I, I know where a little bit's coming from, just to interrupt. Is it, is it you? is viewed as being one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Great. So they're trying to maybe predict the gem that he's going to be. But at some point, you got to realize there's a little bit of a learning curve. And Gray's young, but he's at least face major league batting for a couple months. I just think the Nationals are the better offense and the more reliable starting pitcher in this spot. And their bullpens are not completely fried because Fetty pitched a decent amount yesterday. I got to go with the Nationals in the spot. That hurts me just to hear you say that. Yeah, I know. Sorry, but he uh, was good. He was good. He, he he was absolutely good. How about Tampa Bay, Philadelphia? Zach Wheeler going for Philly against Ryan Yarborough for the Tampa Bay Rays. Philadelphia minus one thirty eight and a half is the total. DraftKings only spot that has that right now because I know Yarborough just got plugged in. What's up with the Phillies, Scott? Can you help me out here with him? I'm taking Tampa. Uh, the thing, the breakdown is they're an NL East team, so they'll fit right in with the rest of the group. But Wheeler had a hold on the Cy Young, and then he struggled in his last outing. 
We know he's very good. We know he goes a lot of innings, but the Phillies are just a team that's been streaky all year long. Remember when Harper was rumored to be the favorite to win the MVP for about two days and God, they ended up losing to Arizona? It seems like about three years ago, but no, it was yeah, like two weeks. They lost the series to Arizona. They're falling apart. Atlanta's running away with the division. But Philly is a team that you just can't rely on. And the Rays are the opposite. They just have a bunch of guys who you don't know. They don't have the Bryce Harpers of the world or the Hoskins of the world or the Real Mutos, but they have a bunch of random guys. They plug in and they all randomly produce and they win a bunch of games i'll go with tampa plus that's the crazy part though yankees have won 11 straight and they've barely gained any ground because tampa's won seven of eight yeah it's nuts is yankees gonna be able to get them no i, I think it'll be very close they have a couple head-to-head games i believe they finished the season with three head-to-heads to end the year so we'll see if it comes down to those games i think they'll be within one or two games going into that final series i'm gonna take tampa i just think that this team can actually close a game in the ninth inning without giving fans heart attacks. Chapman was awful again yesterday. You know, the Yankees won. The Yankees just can't secure a nice, easy one, two, three, ninth. And I think they're going to blow a game at some point that they should win. What's what's the deal with that? What uh, Chapman can... had an arm issue, came off, uh, you know, that, and he hasn't looked sharp since, but... Yankees win games, but they do not make it easy for the fans past the seventh inning. No, it's 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 an adventure. It's not quite like watching, you know, it's not like watching Cincinnati or some of those other teams with the horrible bullpens, Detroit, for example. But they're good from the sixth to the eighth. Once the ninth comes around, though, they quickly fall apart. They need Sparky Lyle. <laughs> that's who they need. Goose Gossage. Go- the goose. That's right. Before the I goose, met him. you met Goose nice. Gossage. Yeah, I met him. He was nice in person. Okay, what were you doing? Uh, it was during Passover. I was at some random hotel and he was randomly there. Goose Gossage Goose nodded you? No. He okay. was just chilling by the bar. And I was like 12. I walked over and I just talked to him for a bit, got an autograph. Oh, nice. Very good. Because he was a little 12 year old in the bar. Yep. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, Scott. Well, let's take a look and see what we got cooked up for today. We have reached the end of this show. We've got time for just one more segment. And it is the segment where you and I put our heads together and come up with our very best play of the day. If you had to bet it all, boys, if you had to throw all your chips in the middle on just one game, what would it be? Well, funny you should ask, Scott, because here it comes. Put on those overalls. Jump up on your John Deere, guys, and fire it up because it's time for Bet the Farm, y'all! Scott, how did we do yesterday? Well, the odds makers were drunk, but we were sober because we had the Angels' money line at minus 135. Beautiful. Yeah, that's it. That's that farm music that we like to hear, Scotty. So, I know we've really dug deep for this one. We have considered all the options, run it through the computer many, many times. We have come up with a very sneaky, hard-to-believe play. Scott, what is it? So, we're taking the Angels again. Yes, that's right. (laughs) But we're taking the Angels minus one and a half. It's at minus 105 on DraftKings, which is absurd. Orioles lost 19 in a row, 18 by at least two runs. Otani's pitching last month, 27 innings, 1.67 ERA. Angels have won each of the first four meetings. And Baltimore is 17 and 41 at Camden Yards. Don't forget to subscribe. Check out our podcast on all the formats. And, of course, we wish you nothing but the best today for myself and for Scott. Good luck, and we will see you guys tomorrow on Winners and Winers Radio. Take care, everybody.